Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. If you would, turn in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. And we're going to be discussing the idea of turning suffering into strength. Turning suffering into strength. Has there been a time in your life where you've persevered through something very difficult with much grit and determination? You, you found some way to get through an, an extremely difficult season in life. Maybe it was a, a very difficult goal. And uh, maybe it was something like working out to get to a particular goal. Uh, what, what type of suffering needs to be endured to get to a, a workout goal? You've got, you've got to lift the, the amount of weight, right? You've got to increase the weights. You've got to increase the amount of time that you put into it, right? To, to get through, push through, to get to the goal that you want. What about uh, an educational goal? What, what kind of suffering sometimes comes along with, with educational goals? Okay, a lot, lack of sleep. What else? What are some other things? Yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You miss out on a lot of social activities, things that you have to give up to, to put in the necessary time because there's only so much time that you have. And what, what, other, what are some other things that you, you determine, you, you push through, and through a lot of determination and, and hardship, you finally get to that point that, that goal that you wanted to reach. What are some other things that we deal with in life that are like that? Sickness. Sickness. Yeah, a lot of that going around lately, isn't there? We're just to get over it, to get through it, you've got to push through. A job. You may be a difficult project at your workplace. Maybe the job itself, so that you may get that promotion to, to gain a, maybe a little bit easier job at some point. I don't know that jobs ever really get easier. I just gain more responsibility. And then, then yeah, it takes more strength to just build on whatever else you, you uh, determine to do. There are many areas in life, but things like raising children, right? Think of all the suffering and the and determination that, that goes into raising children sometimes. But when you put in the hard work and the time, on the other end, you see the result of that. So there, we, we understand this idea in multiple areas of life, how many times we have to go through times of suffering to be strengthened. And there, there are many reasons for that. But today we're going to take a particular look at Christ's time of suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Last Supper of Jesus with His disciples was finished. He had predicted the betrayal of Judas. They had observed the Passover, and he had instituted the Lord's Supper. He then foretold Peter's denial of him. And after the supper's finished, they make their way to the Mount of Olives, and then to a place, a garden, called Gethsemane. It's a garden outside of the city, across the Kidron Brook, we're told. The name Gethsemane means olive press, and it was possibly a remote walled garden, some people believe that it might have been owned by a disciple and that they were more than happy for Jesus to use it on a frequent basis. He would go back to this place to pray, to spend time. 
It was a place where he went often with his disciples. There were two times when Jesus was physically and emotionally drained while he was on the earth. Two in particular. The first one being when he was in the wilderness, toward the beginning of his ministry. Then in the garden at the end. In both of these occasions, Jesus is found close to death. The devil is present. He's right there, taunting him. In fact, we're told in Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. John 14, 30 tells us during the Last Supper, Jesus Himself says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He knew the devil was on the way to specifically attack and come after Him, to tempt Him. But He said, He has no hold over Me, but He comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what My Father has commanded Me. See, in both of these cases, though He's physically and emotionally drained, He's he's gone through extremes, psychologically. And in both cases, he resolves to do his Father's will in the end. Doesn't give in. Up to this point in Christ's life, he's won every battle. This time in the Garden of Gethsemane is the devil's last chance to give in, get, get Christ to give in to His physical body, His fleshly weaknesses. And Jesus does not let that happen. We note also the contrast between the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. In the first garden, the first man, Adam, he fell yielding to temptation and sinning against God. In the second garden, the second man, as Paul refers to Christ in 1 Corinthians, he conquers temptation and conquers the devil by yielding to the will of God. R.C. Foster, in his studies in the life of Christ, he summarizes it in this way. He says, Man's downfall in his first combat with Satan was in the garden, which was filled with all the beautiful things that God had provided. And there's something very fitting in the fact that this final Critical battle for man's redemption should have been fought out in a garden. But this wasn't a physical fight, was it, ultimately? Even though he went through a lot of physical pain, it wasn't a physical fight. Because if it were supposed to be a physical fight, remember what Jesus said to Peter when Peter drew his sword right there in the garden. And he cut off the ear of Malchus. What did Jesus tell him? After he said, put the sword away, he says, don't you think I I cannot call my Father and He will at once at my disposal provide more than 12 legions of angels. 12 legions of angels He had at a moment's notice could have come and rescued Him physically and won the physical battle. But he tells us in Matthew 26, verse 54, 
But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? See, Christ was resolved to do His Father's will. He knew the suffering that He was going to go through. He's already been through a lot of physical strain and stress and turmoil. But this wasn't a physical fight. It was the fight for the salvation of the souls of men. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place of victory for Jesus. And it was a place of victory for us as well. But the victory did not come easy. So let's read our text, Matthew 26, verse 36 through 46. And it says, Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with Him, and He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with Me. Going a little farther, He fell with His face to the ground, and He prayed, My Father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and he went away once more. And he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place of suffering, first and foremost, where Jesus experienced great distress. He went off to pray by Himself. He's accompanied by Peter, James, and John. And who are these men to Jesus? Peter, James, and John. Who are they? That's their disciples, but more than that. They're, they're part of the twelve, but even more than that. This is his inner circle, his, his closest friends. The ones who, no matter what, he could count on them to be there. Peter, the one who's always ready to do whatever it takes for the Lord. Even he is tempted, falls, to, falls asleep, not able to stay awake during this time when Christ needed him. Jesus goes off by Himself to pray. And it was a common thing for Him to do this. He often needed time alone with His Father. But this time, He asked several others to pray with Him, to keep watch with Him. And before He begins praying, we're told He's deeply distressed. Mark, in his accounts, records that He was troubled and deeply distressed. Luke, the physician, he takes the time to record the physical agony that he was in 
And he reveals that his sweat became like great drops of blood. Now many have tried to determine what this actually means, what's going on here physically. For him to sweat drops of blood. There have been documented instances when men have faced intense and excruciating torture where they have actually sweat blood. Where the intense pain and agony drives the blood to the outer parts of the blood vessels, to the capillaries, to the point to where the sweat mixes with blood seeping out of the skin. It's a sign of certain and impending death. And when it has been witnessed, the individual quickly dies from the excruciating, extreme condition. And this would explain why an angel had to come to attend him and to strengthen him. Some have even suggested that the cup that he prayed for, for the Lord to remove, was primarily the agony that he was suffering during his time in the garden. Because did Jesus know that he had to die on the cross? Absolutely. It had been prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before this that this would be the way that he would die. By this point, he knows. He's told his disciples several times that he was going to have to go and to die this way. He knew without a doubt the only way possible for him to die would be on the cross. So what is this cup that he speaks of? He was in so much physical and emotional agony over what he was about to go through, what was about to happen to him through the arrest, the torture, the crucifixion, that he was physically close to death over this agony. He did not want to die in Gethsemane rather than on the cross. And God answers his prayer by sending supernatural help to strengthen him physically, to provide the necessary ability to endure all that he was about to suffer. And we're not told for sure what this cup is, but it's very possible because of the anguish and distress that he was in. That it was his mental agony. Father, help strengthen me physically so that I may get through this. So that I can do your will. So that I can make it to the cross. He was troubled because he knew that his hour had come. He knew death was imminent. Even now, events were in motion for everything to happen as it had been foretold. There was not only physical pain to endure, but the emotional and psychological pain. He endured the burden of sins, the sins of the world, separation from His Father as He bore our sins on the cross. In the garden is where Jesus endured this intense sorrow, exceeding sorrow even to death. Verse 38 tells us, And his grief and sorrow was partly due to the fact that he was taking upon himself our griefs and sorrows. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, 
If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. It tells us there that He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God and stricken by Him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him and by His wounds. We are healed. Part of His intense sorrow is that He took on our griefs. He took on our sorrow. He took on our iniquities. He was crushed crushed for us, pierced for us, so that we might be healed. In the garden is where Jesus encountered extreme loneliness as well. He wanted these closest disciples to keep watch and to be right there with Him. If at any time at all in His ministry He needed their companionship, it was now. Those who had been with Him from the beginning, those who had witnessed His greatest miracles, those who were even with Him on the Mount Transfiguration, even the disciple whom He loved, John, was there. Yet after each episode of praying, he comes back, and what does he find them doing? They're sleeping. Luke adds in a detail in Luke twenty two forty five that tells us when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. They were going through an extreme situation, sorrow and anguish because of what He was about to go through. But when Christ desired fellowship for comfort, there was none to be found. The disciples themselves were in anguish and they didn't know how to deal with it themselves. But even this happened to fulfill what the Scripture says in Psalm 69 verse 20. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, I found none. Jesus alone. In distress and sorrow, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was in extreme suffering. Suffering for us. And then something happened. Before he went to face his betrayer and the mob came to arrest him, he found that the Garden of Gethsemane was a place of strength. Through agonizing prayer and the pain that's associated with his prayer, we see it in his posture that he fell face, face down. In verse 39, his words, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
gives us an idea of the physical struggle that he's going through. Luke's account says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, it was godly obedience that Jesus demonstrated in the garden. It was his godly obedience to God's plan that gave him the strength to get through it. Because of this, his prayer was heard. It may not have been answered in the way that he would have physically wanted answered. But his prayer was answered the way that God wanted it to be answered. The strength of Christ is shown in His ability to stay true to His Father's will through even the most intense and agonizing circumstance. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7-9 through 9 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears to the One who could save Him from death. He knew this was going to happen. Throughout his adult life, no doubt, he, he knew one day he was going to be on that cross. And throughout his life, he offered up fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from that death. But he goes on to say, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. See, the cup, the cup of suffering was not removed. He knew he would have to ultimately endure that cross. God the Father answered His Son's prayer by providing Him with the strength to be able to withstand what He was about to do. And this is a great example for us. When we do not know necessarily why we are suffering, why we're going through, particular difficulty, why same things just don't seem to get any better. Maybe some have felt that in this past couple of years. As we see the, the virus and all of the, the, the struggles that people are going through with sickness and death. As we see the, our world and the, the moral deterioration that's going on around us. We ask, why? Why? Why, Lord? Why all this agonizing? Why all this suffering? When things seem to be beyond our control, and they don't seem to get any better, it's always the right thing to pray to the Father, to submit to His will, and be obedient to Him. And that's what Jesus learned here in the garden and that's what we learn from His example. That our physical circumstances may or may not improve, but we can find joy in knowing that God's will is being done. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is different than happiness, isn't it? Happiness is based on our circumstances. But joy can get us through much difficulty. He could see beyond the suffering. He could see beyond the cross, knowing what was going to happen by doing His Father's will. 
We do not know what God knows, and we cannot see what God sees. But it doesn't mean that God's not working. It doesn't mean that His will isn't being done. The ring nebula in the constellation Lyra looks like, through binoculars, a smoke ring. It's a star in the process of exploding. Light from its explosion first reached the earth in 1054 A.D. It was a supernova then, and so bright that it shone in the daytime. And now it is not so bright, but it's still exploding. It expands at the rate of 70 million miles a day. It's interesting to look through binoculars at something expanding 70 million miles a day. It does not budge, though. Its apparent size does not increase. Photographs of the Ring Nebula taken 15 years ago seem identical to the photographs that are taken of it yesterday. Huge happenings are not always visible to the naked eye, especially in the spiritual realm. How often it is that this nebula resembles the process of prayer. Sometimes we pray and we pray and seemingly see no change in the situation, but that's only true from our perspective. If we could see from heaven's standpoint, we would know that God is doing all that He can do, intending to do good in our lives. We would see God working in hearts in ways we cannot know. We would see God orchestrating circumstances that we know nothing about. We would see a galaxy of details being set in place for the moment when God brings the answer to the fulfillment of His will. Just like that ring nebula. Looks like something small and significant. Something that never changes to us. It's the same way with God's will. And how our prayers affect the will of God. He's working all the time. Working good on our behalf. In many different ways. And we may not see it necessarily. But we know that He's there. Jesus knew that God was there. And the best thing to do was to just do His will. Notice the progression in His request. The wrestling with God's will in His mind. In verse 39, Jesus said, If, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Aren't all things possible with God? Doesn't the Bible tell us that? Is it possible? Could it be possible that the pain and agony be taken away? Absolutely. Could it be possible that He didn't have to face the cross? Could the cross be, remo be removed from the immediate future? Sure, it could have. But what would have been the consequence of giving into His fleshly will rather than God's will? It would have removed all possibility of salvation for all of mankind. And don't you think that Satan tried everything he could possibly think of? Satan tried to murder Christ shortly after he was born, didn't he? 
through the edict of Herod. He tried to get Christ to commit suicide by throwing himself off the temple. He tried multiple times to have Jesus killed by the Jewish leaders. He wanted to take him out and stone him. Certainly, there were other attempts of Satan to keep Jesus from going to the cross. What else was left for Satan to do? He had to try to get him to sin or simply refuse to go to the cross. And if Satan could get Jesus to, to do either one, he would have succeeded. But Satan had no idea what he was up against. Submitting to the will of God in the garden was the beginning of the end for Satan. And Jesus delivered a death blow. Verse 22, notice the change in the language of his second prayer. He goes back and he says, My Father, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, Unless I drink it, may your will be done. His prayer changes just slightly, doesn't it? From positive now to negative sense, if it is not possible. He's, he's resolving within himself. Yeah, I, I know. No, there's just no other way, is there? He knew there was no other way. And he had come to grips with his human and physical will. And he knew he had to accept God's will completely. After he makes this second statement to his disciples, he leaves, he goes, he prays the third time. We're not told what he asks the God the Father the third time. But if these first two statements are any indication, Kaufman, he says, the third prayer probably said something like, since this cup cannot pass from me, your will be done. Jesus fully resigned His will to His Father's will. Not as I will, but as you will. In the first garden, man said, My will, not yours, be done. And that submission to selfishness and pride opened up the floodgates of sin to humanity. And it caused man to be kicked out of the garden and removed from fellowship with God. But when Jesus said, Not my will, but yours, be done. Victory over sin and access to eternal life became possible, and Satan lost the battle. And this submission to God's will prepared Jesus to go to the cross to die and to shed His blood as the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. The submission to God's will gives us boldness. It gives us courage. And we never have to be ashamed when we submit to the will of God. See, in the first garden, when Adam and Eve, they submitted to their own will, what happened? How did God find them? He went and He said, Adam, where are you? What did they say? You remember the response? Yes, they were ashamed because of their nakedness. He had to ask them, where are you at? Why are you over in the corner hiding? When we, when we submit to our own will, it causes shame, causes guilt. When we submit to the Father's will, we don't have that shame. We don't have the guilt. 
We can have courage and boldness. In the second garden, what did Jesus say and do with the strength He was given from submitting to God's will? John chapter 18. Turn to John chapter 18, verses 5-8. through 8. Remember now, he's in, a, he's in a situation of intense agony and pain. Physically drained, emotionally drained. God answers his prayer. He sends this angel to come and strengthen him. And what happens right after this? John 18 tells us, starting in verse 5, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and he asked them, Who is it that you want? Sounds like he's got some renewed strength here, doesn't it? Who is it that you want? He faces his accuser. He faces the the guards that are coming after him, those who are about to arrest him. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back, they fell to the ground. Just the pronouncement of who he was. With the courage and boldness that he knew, I'm doing the Father's will and nobody's going to stop me. It's not going to be your will that takes me to the cross. It's going to be my Father's will that takes me to the cross. Again, they asked him, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. He doesn't hide. He doesn't have anything to be ashamed of with this miracle. He shows the renewed strength that he had been given. He shows the crowd and the disciples that he's in control of his decision. He's not submitting to their will to come and arrest him. He's doing the will of his father. Following the example of Christ, we are never to be ashamed. To be ashamed of or to feel guilty of God's will. Boldly and courageously defend Christianity. Boldly proclaim the Lord's will. He is the I am. He said, I am He. He is the I Am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. His will will be done no matter what. Do we have the strength and the courage to do His will? Did Jesus enjoy a special comfort in the garden because He received the answer to His prayer the way that God wanted to answer it? Maybe not the answer that He physically had requested, but he received the strength from the angel to continue on to the cross. Like the Apostle Paul would later pray in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 for his physical infirmity. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10, Paul says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We need to have that same resolve. When we have suffering, when we have difficulty, when we're persecuted, when we face insults, we find strength in being obedient to God and doing His will. Christ's circumstance and Paul's difficulty are written to remind us to find comfort in God's answer to our prayer. Even if they may not be answered the way we want it to be. Realizing that His grace is sufficient for all situations. He may just be preparing us for something greater than we can ever imagine. He may use that struggle to prepare us to help someone else through theirs. And having been strengthened, Jesus was ready to face the hour at hand to be taken, to be tortured, to die on the cross for us. So the Garden of Gethsemane, it was a place of both suffering and strength. He entered the garden suffering. He left strengthened and determined to do God's will. And what was it that turned the tide? Prayer. And isn't it amazing that that's the thing that God gives us to get through difficulty? And many want miraculous powers, right? Many, many search for signs and wonders. Many want things to, to happen in just flamboyant and wonderful ways that just show that God answered our prayer in a certain way. Instead of searching for the sign, instead of searching for the miracle, just do what God has asked us to do. Use the power of prayer. Look at Christ's example. Realize that prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer in which one submits to the will of God will strengthen us. Prayer enables us to face the cup of life given to us. And the lesson for us, there will be sorrow. There will be loneliness. There will be suffering. But in such times, are we going to turn them into a time of strength? Will we spend time in prayer? Will we ask our closest Christian friends to be present to pray with us? And after we pray, will we willingly accept His will? Jesus found prayer to be the key for turning the garden of suffering into a garden of strength. And as Christians, we have a similar blessing. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, we'll close with these verses. Remind us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're going to offer an opportunity for you today if you have not been obedient to God's will. If you haven't confessed that Christ is Lord 
if you haven't repented of your sin. Turned away from living for your own will and turning towards God's will. That's really the idea of repentance. If you haven't done those things, if you haven't been immersed into Christ in water for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, as we're told in Scripture, we're going to give you that ability to do that today. If you believe that Christ is Lord, 